Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined today by Tish Hamilton. Hello, Tish. Hi, Sarah. Nice to be here. Yes, I hear you're coming to us from a closet while you're wearing your bathing suit. <laughs> well, and to be fair, I did just come from the beach. My daughter and I are on an annual vacation uh, uh -huh. a beach week, and she is um, parked at the beach while I come and do this interview. Nice. Nice. So what state? We're in um, Avalon, which is the very southernmost part of New Jersey. And yeah. we've been coming here for, I think, seven years, maybe, with um, a very dear friend who is also another mother runner. And her name nice. is uh, Yashane. And her, yes. her whole family comes. And uh, so it's really nice to be here all at the same time because you have kids to hang out with and parents to hang out with. And, and it's really fun. Oh, fantastic. And another freelance writer. So yes, um, I actually yeah. met Shane back in the Sports Illustrated for Women days. So we've been buddies nice. for a good long while. Yeah, and yeah, awesome. buddies. And yeah, one of our favorite things to do is, is meet up in the morning for our uh, beach run. Um, and oh my goodness. we both run very, very slowly, which is nice because it take it gives us more time to chat. Yes, yes. That's so funny. Uh, this morning, Molly and I, my best running friend and I met up um, and there's, um, I, I didn't realize how bad the air quality is here because of all the forest fires. Wow. And Cause you know, if you don't listen to local news, you don't know local news. So, um, Molly was saying that, uh, yesterday we had the eighth worst air quality of any place in the world. Wow. Um, yeah. And when you think of some other places in the world, I was like, whoa, that's bad. That is um, bad. You think about China and Beijing. Oh, yeah. And Bangladesh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, but she, because I was like, oh, okay, you know, maybe let's try to run. You know, do you want to run for three miles or do you want to walk, run for an hour? And we chose walk, run for an hour because then that gave us more time to talk. Oh, definitely. That's a yes. no brainer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And Molly was leaning toward the walk run because also we would be huffing and puffing less and so not quite as bad for our lungs. So I'm yeah. curious, can you smell the forest fires? You can't. The The way you know is, um, well, the sun for a lot of the day is just this dark orange ball in yes, the sky. Yes, yes. It's very apocalyptic. Yeah. And, and the light has a very different quality. It's... um. Some it's like filtered, obviously, right. because it literally is filtered. Right. Um, but it has um, uh, an eerie quality about it. Yeah, that is hard. It's it definitely just doesn't seem as direct, and you you can sort of hear. And Alex is nodding his head. You sort of almost hear Twilight Zone music yeah. playing while, yeah. while you look around. Yeah. So um, yeah, yesterday I was working in our. We're taking care of our neighbors' plants while they're in Europe, and um, so I they have this beautiful garden, and so I was sitting out there working because I have their Wi-Fi password with their with their permission, and uh, so John came over and he's like, "Mom, you shouldn't be sitting outside. It's bad for your health." Uh, wow. <laughs> so I guess he must be listening to the news, because I was just like, oh, "John, it's really nice out. I want to be outside, and yeah. these flowers are so pretty." So yeah 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 so so do you run on the beach or just like along a boardwalk or um no we run on the beach and that's yashane's choice uh she mm. likes to run barefoot on the beach and, <gasps> yeah i know um <laughs> but I, my, I, my planner fish is just like twinged when you said that <laughs> my, my, i'm too stubborn and and cautious so i'm i'm in my running shoes on the beach yeah, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that isn't what uh, brought on my plantar fasciitis. Really? The week, yeah, the weekend before, you know, just I'm self-diagnosing. Uh, the weekend before I had to stop running, I was at the beach, the Oregon coast, and I ran uh, twelve miles total. Oh. I was wearing running shoes, and the sand was very hard packed, but it definitely. May, I don't know. My I have super high arches and yeah. very rigid feet, and they kind of don't like being pushed in directions they don't want to go. Well, you know, the thing about it is also is because it's an unusual thing to do. You know, we're not mm -hmm. running on the beach every single day. It puts all kinds of different stressors on all kinds of tiny little uh, mm -hmm. um, tendons and ligaments and everything, right, in your mm -hmm. lower feet. Mm -hmm. And so, it's of course, it's going to, you know, cause issues because your, your body's just not used to it. Uh, yeah. And I, I also noticed it in my, uh, what I call my affected ankle, my ankle that I had four fractures in, mm -hmm. in 2015. And so, you know, it's like somewhat similar to trail running. I it definitely, my, my ankle is always fatigued and kind of sore right. after I do something like that. Right. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so far, my, my only um, war wound from the beach is an, a ginormous blister on a, on a toe mm. that um, it's like, it's kind of looking like, uh, it's pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you need to tweet out a picture after we get off this recording. I, and this, I, this is going to gross and gross out all your listeners, but, uh, you know, I, I like, can't wait to like get a safety pin to it and sterilize <laughs> right. it and drain that baby <laughs> you need to go you need to go to a hotel we we needed a safety pin i was in uh port towns in washington last weekend with my older daughter and a friend of hers uh visiting some family and just having a little quick escape and um my daughter she loves uh clothes from thrift stores and the pants she was wearing just decided to kind of spring this hole in the front of them and so she was like mom do you have a safety pin i'm like nope and but the the front desk did of the hotel we were staying in. So I say stop at a hotel and ask for a safety pin. Oh, I have a safety pin. Oh, you do. Okay, okay. You just haven't gotten around to popping it. I travel with safety pins. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are people screaming at me right now as they listen because they're like, Sarah, don't you have ones left over from races? Yeah, uh. that's why you're in your purse from race numbers. <laughs> oh, that's smart. I bet I do have some in my purse at yeah. the very bottom. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I think I I looked in my um my toiletries kit and I didn't have any there. Yeah. Um, she also asked me while we were off to breakfast and you know, I'm not on, I don't know, let's make a deal. I don't have like all these, you know, hard boiled egg in my purse and things like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the show that was that right. Where the guy would walk around and be like, do you have a pair of tongs in your purse? And it's, you know, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure it's the right TV show. And I think you have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, that sounds very funny. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So when does your daughter go back to school? We don't start back to school in New Jersey until after Labor Day. And it's the mm. Thursday after Labor Day. Wow. Yeah. So you get in two two days of school and then a weekend. Yes. <laughs> That's the way it should always be. Right. And how about your kids? When do they go back? They start a week from Monday. So oh. that, um, I can't even do the math on that. That's if, if today's the 10th. No, today's the 15th, 13th, 27th, August 27th. There, that's how I do math. Yeah. So August 27th, they go back. So, and John's actually in, he's getting in one last summer camp. He started musical theater camp round two on Monday. And um, so it's a little half day camp at a Northwest Children's Theater. And he loves it, all his buddies. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And they're doing a very funny show this year. It's a, like a, mashup between glee high school no glee bring it on and pitch perfect and um so the casting he was really cast against type he's um he has a comedic role that has a lot of dance in it i'm like ah that's like john in a nutshell so (laughs) that's awesome yeah 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 so um and i just i i really admire how many camps he's done this summer a lot of i think 13 year olds are like done with camp so i really like that he's just really dove in with both feet this year so yes yes so and speaking of both feet i actually did i sort of alluded to it i ran three and a half entire miles the other day on my recovering from plantar fasciitis foot awesome good job yes Yes. And it was, uh, ironically, it was the same day that I finally was like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to turn off the auto pause feature on my Garmin. Do you have that where like, you know, if you get to a stoplight or you, you know, have to tie your shoe or you take in a goo and you stop that the Garmin automatically pauses? I, I, I have, I have heard of that feature and I have a Garmin. (laughs) (laughs) See, see you and I are cut from the same cloth because I, I at one point figured out how to turn it on. But then the problem is when you run walk, as exercise, yeah. if, you, if you, as soon as you start walking, it pauses. And I'm well, like, no, 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 no. very annoying. No, I'm still yeah. exercising. This counts. <laughs> right, right. I know. And I'm like, no, 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 keep going, keep going. So I'm like, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do like an intern we had showed me and I'm going to Google how to figure this out. Yeah, that's how and you sh- find every answer. Yep, yep. So sure enough, there were, you know, step-by-step instructions. So I figured it out and then I set off running and I'm like, well, I feel good. I'm just going to keep running. <laughs> So here my Garmin would have paused, but I didn't ever need it to pause. So, um, yeah, so three and a half miles. I, of course, forgot to turn my Garmin on for about the first, I don't know, quarter mile or so. That's okay. <laughs> it still of, counts. Yeah. And you get out of the habit of doing things, you know, it's like, oh, right. I need to, you know, lube up a little under my armpits, you know, before I go out running. All these things you forget about are like, oh, a hat. Right. I run in a hat. Uh, 
<laughs> so Sarah, how long have you been back to running? Well, so, okay. So I had to stop, I stopped my last true real run was um, March 31st. And so no running at all in April. And then um, maybe until either like May 31st or June 1st. And I ran two miles and then I went swimming and my foot felt really good. And so then on national running day or international running, global running day, sorry, sorry. Um, I had vowed or whatever to run three miles. Mm -hmm. So I go out running first two miles felt fine. The third mile was agony. So, so then that's when I got kicked up my, my treatment of it further. I saw the PT and everything. So then I didn't run again until a couple weeks ago. And then maybe I've done three, maybe two or three run, I guess three run walks. And then that one, three and a half mile, just straight up run. So that's, um, I know you didn't ask me for any advice. No, I'd love some advice. <laughs> yes. My, my Marge Simpson's going. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that I should be doing uh, like 10, 10 seconds of running and 50 seconds of walking type thing. Kind of. Yeah. Three miles mm-hmm. is a long way to be running on your third run back from plantar yeah. fasciitis. I mean, yeah, I've, I, I've got this whole, and you've probably seen it before, um, Bud Coates, uh, the um, running coach at Runner's World. Mm-hmm. has a, a coming back comeback program where you do exactly what you said, right? It, it's mm-hmm. um, 30 seconds walk, 30 seconds run, 30 seconds walk, mm-hmm. 30 seconds run. And it's only for mm-hmm. 10 minutes. And that's like every other day for a week. And then you add a little bit more running. It's very, very gradual. And it's a mm-hmm. little bit excruciating because you like, you just, yeah, I like, just want to run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. on, the other, on the other hand, once you get through it, you can run again. And once you make it to like 30 minutes and you're, you know, you're pain free, you're pretty much mm-hmm. good to go. Yeah. So three yeah. miles is, I mean, knock on wood, maybe you're, you're probably going to be fine, but you know, take it easy on yourself. I know. I know. And the thing is, is that, you know, I've gotten into such a routine of doing other things mm-hmm. that like last week, I just didn't get around to running. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, I brought my bike up to Port Townsend and I had planned on biking one day and then uh, going on a short walk run the next day. And I enjoyed the bike ride so much that I'm like, oh, I'm going biking again today. Forget the running thing. Well, good. That's good. You, yeah. you probably, probably needed it. Your body probably needed it. That's, that's all good. Yeah. Yeah. So, and now, uh, now I'm being dogged on my swimming though, because, um, the pond that we swim in last week got tested and had, there was uh, elevated level of E. coli, oh. which, yeah, which happens when you have a lot of kids swimming in a body of water. Yep. And and then, um, thankfully, I did not swim in the Willamette last week. I didn't get my face in the water because there is um, a blue-green algae bloom or something. And so, like, these blooms out here are all the... I don't I don't really remember hearing about these out east, that um, there's all these algae blooms out here. And it, it could be, you know, if you have a compromised immune system or whatnot, it can be problematic or I mean for kids it's not safe so um and I had walked in I said on last week's podcast how Molly and I tried to go in and I just was like oh this looks gross and so I instinctively must have known because yeah <laughs> like the next day they're like blue green algae bloom yeah if it's so. gross looking it's probably not good to swim in yeah if you can if your eye can discern it then you know yeah <laughs> there's there's, there's stuff not. happening on a microscopic level that's even worse yeah <laughs> so anyway so but that cuts down on my ability to swim so um anyway Anyway, well, I will take your and Bud Coates's um, advice and um, uh, definitely give it some serious consideration. Well, and, I mean, um, and, and your and go out with Molly and do the run walk thing because, as you mm-hmm. as she said, then you get more time to to chat anyway. So I know, I know. Yes, 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 yes. Well, we have a very special guest today: professional runner and absolutely fantastic human being, Dina Castor. Dina won the bronze medal in the women's marathon in 2004 Olympic Games held in Athens, Greece. She went on to win the 2005 Chicago Marathon and 2006 London Marathon. Since becoming a master's athlete in early 2013, Dina has racked up impressive records in both the half marathon and marathon distance, including breaking the U.S. women's master's marathon record in a time of 2.27.47. Um, by almost a minute in the October 2015 Chicago Marathon. 
Dina has a new book out called Let Your Mind Run, A Memoir of Thinking My Way to Victory. Tish and I will talk with Dina after this short break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the podcast, Dina. Thank you. It's so great to be visiting with you today. Good, good. So I can't believe it's been almost four years since you joined us on the show. So the last time your daughter Piper was a preschooler, and now she's what, going into second grade, she's maybe? Going into the second grade this, this week. It's so crazy. So we've just been camping as like kind of a last hurrah of summer with uh-huh. her. And um, so I'm fresh in, I uh, shouldn't say the word, I use the word fresh very lightly, fresh <laughs> in from camping for the past uh, five or six days. Wow. But it's close to home camping, isn't it? It is. It's a mile and a half, which means we now need an entire U-Haul trailer to bring our stuff back to the house. (laughs) Well, it was fun to see uh, snippets of it. You you took over our Instagram account. So thank you for doing that. It was great photos and so pretty. Yes. And I'll have to give a shout out to T-Mobile because I have never had reception at the Lakes Basin, Mm. which is so close to our house. But Mm -hmm. for some reason this summer, I get beautiful reception up there. So I was able to post photos from our camp campsite as well as when we had to run into town for for our jobs of running club and training with our team nice 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 it looks like a whole lot of fun it always is tish you've been out this way exploring in the backcountry and to be on the john muir and pacific crest trails we have so many um people passing through and our campground neighbors were this uh, family from Burgundy, France. So oh. I wish that if they knew they were going to meet me, maybe they would have brought me some wine, but they didn't know. <laughs> but I took her on a run through the lake space and on all the, like, the hidden trails and sh- this morning, and she just had a blast. It was real. The French are tough. She wasn't a runner. I actually saw her smoking an e-cigarette, but she <laughs> has this innate toughness in her. And so we ran along, along um, the back of some of our most beautiful lakes here. So it was a fun morning to be able to share that with, with someone from so far away. Wait, so did she, does she know who she got to run with this morning? She does not. I was just a, I, I was just a jogger who was <laughs> eager to show her the ropes of mammoth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mon dieu. I wish she knew. <laughs> I, if, just some if, hobby jogger. <laughs> yes. If she asked, I probably would have told her I was like a soap maker or, um, or a preschool teacher or something. I would have pulled something, something out of thin air. <sighs> Dina, um, Sarah was mentioning that the air quality up in Portland has been bad because of forest fires. And I, I was curious if that's affecting you down there. It is the same. We have the um, the Yosemite fire going and our um, mammoth actually backs up into Yosemite County. Mm-hmm. And so the air quality has been very sporadic um, This for the past two months since mm-hmm. June 11th, when we had a fire that was threatening our national monument, Devil's Post Pile National Monument here. And they put it out a month after it started, and then it reignited from winds kicking up in the valley. So, um, so between the Yosemite fire and the Lions fire, very nearby, um, we've had we've had quite a bit of smoke this this summer. Mm. Mm. So, are you changing then your workout plans because of it? Yeah, we basically just have to find um, the time of day or a location. It seems like when we go up to the lake basin, maybe because it's the higher elevation that the air is clear, we're kind of above the smoke. Mm. Um, and there was one day that we went from working working out down at the track to having to to work down um, or work up at work out up at the lake basin. So instead of seven thousand feet. We were working out at 9,000 feet, which uh, is a whole nother story. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wow. 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 Sarah, is the air quality still bad up there? It is. I was saying that, uh, so I went on a walk run with my best running friend this morning, and she's an avid listener of the local news. And she said that they were saying that yesterday, Portland had the eighth worst air quality of any place in the world. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's not. It's it's not like the haze is at eye level or something. So it um and you can't smell it. And I wasn't coughing or something. I mean I've been in Salt Lake City when there was an inversion, and um and that made me. I remember I went running before outdoor retailer and had uh just hacking the whole rest of the day. Right. So so no, and I mean you know I'm not having to clear my throat a bunch or you know I don't have like black eye boogers or anything like that. So. <laughs> oh, those black eye boogers. I've had a couple of those this, this summer. From this so see, you know, what I'm ta- you know what I'm talking about. 
be like, oh, ooh, did that just come from me? Right, right. It's funny. My kids actually were just yesterday. They said something about like, uh, our dog's name is Augie. And they're like, uh, Augie has black eye boogers. And at the time I was like, oh, what's the matter with the dog? And now that we say it, I'm like, that's why he had black eye boogers. Yes. Because <laughs> yes, he was lounging outside during the right, right, right. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't even, it's not just affecting our running because there's, there were days that ash was actually coming from the sky and everybody oh. was talking about evacuations and we were very far from evacuating here, but uh -huh. ash was falling from the sky. And of course it happens to be the day that I decide to paint our kitchen cabinets black. So <laughs> I had all of the doors of our cabinet, kitchen cabinets on tables in the backyard no. only to have this ash coming down. And so I was trying, I mean, I looked like a crazy lady trying to fan away the ash as it was drying. <laughs> Uh, and then when it was dry, it was fine. But uh, but I, I must have looked so psychotic in the backyard, fanning over my kitchen cupboards. Oh, my gosh. Of course, the stars had to align. You had to be doing that task on the day the ash decided to fall. Yes. And talking about stars aligning, we were had the, the privilege um, last night to have Alistair and Amy Cragg at our campsite for dinner. Oh, yeah. And she's in town training for the Chicago Marathon. And we had him at our campsite for dinner. And I made um, my signature campsite meal, a beef bourguignon, which comes out <gasps> so good over the campfire. And wow. but we, um, Alistair had an app on his phone that tracked the sky. And, mm -hmm. and as the sun was going down, you know, the bats come out. So we're looking up at the sky. But at the same time, we saw Mars. Saturn, Jupiter, and Mercury in the sky. It was so cool. I was like, I was in heaven. I was like, I couldn't believe that we could see all these planets in the sky before any of the stars spilled into it. It was, it was these wow. bright planets that were all in line across the, across the sky. It was so cool. Oh my goodness. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And you did, were you, were the skies clear enough for you to see the uh, meteor shower? It took place a couple, you know, for several nights in a row. Yes, we slept without our rain fly on, which keeps mm. us a little warmer. Um, but we slept without it on just so that we could we could see the the shooting stars. And I counted like seven before I fell asleep, and then because I'm so oh tired. Um, but Piper <laughs> stayed up and said she got to twenty before she fell asleep. Before she fell wow. asleep. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, my husband, whose um, down comforter is only a mile and a half away, leaves us. Um, he puts the fire out and leaves us at the campsite and comes back in the morning and lights us the fire and makes coffee. So wait, um, because because he won't stay out because you know, he doesn't like sleeping outdoors. He said if he was in the back country and he had no other option, he would do it. But because he knows his cozy bed is only a mile and a half away, he he drives home and sleeps here. <laughs> I got to say, I'm right there with Andrew. Like I am not I am not a sleeper in the outdoors person. <laughs> and also, it's not just the bed, but it's the indoor plumbing. It's the indoor oh, yeah. plumbing at, at yeah. 2 or 3 a.m., you know, like just, I don't know. <laughs> that, that would definitely, I mean, I would hate to unzip the tent and get out of it, but I, I sleep so hard through the night. I feel very fortunate. I don't have to get up. I have to, I have to go immediately when I wake up in the morning, but yeah. I sleep hard through the night. So to, to get out oh. in the middle of the night when the bears are like rummaging through the camp. Oh, yeah. Be ideal for a pee break no <laughs> oh yeah well and the axe murderers that are yeah. always lurking nearby i mean come on always, always there always <laughs> that's, that's really good that you guys can accommodate each other's uh preferences so you get to be in the tent and he gets to be at home and everybody's happy <laughs> yes and he lights the the great fires which always just completely astounds me every time he just lights one match and we've got this gorgeous fire and i i'm it it sometimes takes me like well into the night to get any little spark to, to ignite, so. so good he's useful too yes yes um so dino um we we're talking about your family here and i'm really curious so we we'll get on to the topic of running about how um your running life changed once you became a mother runner yeah you know it was it was so challenging and i in in my plan when i when I ran right after having Piper, maybe two weeks after having her, and I first got in that little jog that made my whole body tingle with joy, I said, oh yeah, I, I still got this. I still, this is still really important to me. It still feels really good despite being severely out of shape. And so I got back into it and, um, and you know, it was maybe 20 minutes one day. The time, by the time I finally had a, a watch on and saw the pace that I was running, it was mortifying to even like, 
um, to, to consider myself a professional at that point. Um, but, I, but I kept going and finally my coach at the time, Terrence Mahan said, you know, the Olympic trials are right around the corner. You should, you should give it a shot. And, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. And plenty of people do this. They're moms, they're business women, and they, and they, and they raise families. So I started doing it and it, it, I felt so, um, I think challenged by the, the separation of focus that my whole life had been so focused on profession. And even with my husband being so supportive, we were all in this together and to have, to, to want to be a gold medal mom and also a gold medal runner. Um, I found a really hard time um, balancing that. And, um, and I remember days leaving the house with Piper crying to get to practice and I'd get in practice really fast. And while the rest of my team stretched and chit chatted and went to the gym, I just buzzed home to feed Piper. And sometimes I got in second runs and sometimes I didn't because we were playing or she was sleeping in my arms. And um, so it was, I was, I was loving the fact that I had both things in my life, but I had a really hard time with the drive to be good at both of them. Mm-hmm. knowing that what it took to be good before was a narrow focus on one thing. And, and I remember after the Olympic trials thinking um, I got sixth place and the top three go, but I remember when the, when they, um, when the break was made in the race, I didn't, I don't know if it wasn't the determination or the fitness to go with anybody. I just thought like, mm. you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm fighting for. What, why is this important to me right now? I had all these, um, these reasons to throw in the towel during the, the time of the race that I should have been dropping the hammer. And I crossed the finish line thinking that I failed as, as an athlete and as a mom. And it was so discouraging. I remember that, mm. that weight feeling so heavy. Like, how do I do this? Like I, I, I just spent the past six months um, focusing on this and, and I failed at everything. And it was such a hard burden to, to take, but we went on a, camping trip up the coast of California. And I knew I'd figure it out eventually, but I just thought, you know, I'm not trying to reinvent something here. So many people do this successfully. So I just decided to set priorities, which is what everybody tells you to do. Mm-hmm. And that family and health would come first and, and running and my job would come second. And sometimes those lines blur. They actually most often blur because sometimes going out for a run makes me better at being a mom or better providing for my family. So it just gave me the justification to, to make the choices I wanted to in the time, I guess. But, mm-hmm. but really being 100% focused on what I was doing with the hat I was wearing in that moment. And that's what it came to, to me, that it wasn't 100% focus all the time on something. But when I was home with Piper, I was just in it. We were having fun, staging little photo shoots, going for a walk, going on a scavenger hunt, just doing fun things together. And when it was time to put on those running shoes, I really took advantage of that time in them, that it was going to be a very quality couple of hours in my running shoes, because I knew once I got home, I had to, I had to be back at being a, a wife and a, and a mom. And, um, and that, that seemed to work. And I also, at this point, I think, my gosh, how lucky am I to have my calendar packed with things that I really enjoy to do. The fact that I could just camp with my family, but come down for our youth track practice and be on the track with my teammates yesterday and to come down for, um, for this phone call so that we can, so that we can chat this afternoon about all things moms and running that it just feels like a privilege to, to be able to fill my days with things that I enjoy so much. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And, 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 and it is. And, and I, I think, listening to you talk about it, one of the things that's interesting about it, especially when, so is Piper now seven? Yes, yes. So the, it, it kind of, how much it changes, right, with each age and stage. So it's a different, you know, it's a different kind of thing when they're infants and toddlers and then preschoolers and you kind of get it figured out and then it changes up on you again. <laughs> of course, it really keeps you on your toes. <laughs> Definitely. And I, I actually thought the eye roll thing didn't come until they were teenagers. Yeah. Apparently it's now seven that they roll their eyes. I'm like, oh my God, I thought I was the center of your universe until you were a teenager, but I had that wrong the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and of course now, um, 
you had Piper when you were 38. So, so that our math skills will then tell us that, that you're now a master's runner. And, and I'm curious about what kind of changes you had to make um, or you have made with your training uh, now that you're a master's runner. So in terms of like prehab and recovering and nutrition, what sort of changes right. did you make after you hit 40? I think nutrition has always been a very big focus, but to me, as long as you're I'm getting quality nutrition and quality sleep with quality running, um, that seems to be a magic circle for me. Um, I don't get in a lot of the rehabilitation that I might have um, two decades ago um, because I'd rather go on a walk with Piper or go exploring or do crafts with her at the kitchen table. Um, so the I feel like as long as my nutrition and my um, sleep patterns are good, that I can stay on top of injury prevention in that way. Um, but really being a master's runner while your child is in school is very different from being a master's runner when your child is out of school on summer vacation. Yes. <laughs> I feel like um, on, my, on, um, on our easy days, I take the day completely off. And then on our hard days when we're meeting at the track or, um, or at, the, at the park for, for a hard effort, an uphill tempo or, um, or a long run, that I'm getting in those days. But on the days that are easy, we just don't want Piper sitting around track practice again. So my teammates run easy together without me on easy days. And then on the hard days, I show up to help push them. Hmm. That's interesting. So then, um, so, but then on the day, so when she's back in school, how much would you say your yes. mileage bumps up or how many um, more? It will more, it will more than double when, once she's in school at the, um, um, in next, in a week's time, then I'll be able to show up to practice every single day. That's, um, that to me, when I can get into that routine, I feel, I feel like I can, I can get in shape very quickly. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, because um, I want her to have memorable summers also. I don't want them to be about sitting sitting at my parents' track practice, practice again. So yeah. um, we try to make it fun for her when she does join us, but, um, but we don't feel like she should have to burden the boredom of sitting around while everybody runs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's very considerate. Yeah. Yeah. So you have had just a remarkable success as a master's runner, as a, a runner over the age of 40. Then that, that I was amazed to see that five years ago, almost to the day, you ran a 236 in the World Championship Marathon in Moscow. And you said at the time that it might be your last high level marathon or according to your Wikipedia page, that's what it says. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, yet two plus years later, you shaved almost nine minutes off that Moscow time running 227 at the Chicago marathon. So how much of this long-term success as a runner do you attribute to the physical and how much to the mental? Yeah, I, I think it's a hundred percent of both <laughs> of, of physical and mental. You know, when I ran, um, 2.36 in Moscow, I wouldn't even have known my time without you saying it because I just, in my mind, it was just one big suffer fest. Um, mm. I just remember thinking, I don't ever want to hurt that badly ever again in my life. And I, I remember giving myself um, little, little finish lines throughout the race, like just get to the next water bottle station and then you can drop out. And then I was like, well, no, Red Square is actually the furthest point away from the finish where I need to end up. So I don't want to drop out here. So just get back to the <laughs> other side, closer to the stadium, and then you can drop out. And so I'd get there, but then I saw my manager, Ray Flynn, and I'm like, oh, I can't drop out in front of Ray. And so oh, and so I went back to the other water ball station next to Red Square and said, you know what? I'm sure they have a bus that can bring me back. So you could just stop at Red Square. It's fine. <laughs> and I got there, and my water bottle tasted so cold and delicious. It kind of invigorated me because... At one water bottle station, they were refrigerating our drinks. Mm. And at the other one, our drinks were about room temperature, 85 degrees. So um, so it tasted so good and invigorating. I thought, oh, I can at least get a little closer back to the stadium now. And then a pack of girls. I know there was a Japanese runner in this pack, and I think a girl from Mexico. And I thought, oh, just stick with these girls. They were passing me. Just stick with them and try to, like, ride their momentum. And I stuck with them for a little bit, but then faded off. And then there was a girl from the UK behind me. Every time we got to 180 degree, degree turn, this girl from the UK was behind me and she was gaining on me. But my coach, Terrence, had just left to train runners in the UK. And I said, and I told him this afterwards, I'll be damned if I let one of his newer athletes beat me. <laughs> so she kept me engaged for the rest of the race to be able to finish. And I, I think I ended up in 10th, which 
in the end I was proud of. So, so continuing to like fight for it is always worth it. So I, it ended up being a race I was proud of, but it hurt from about six miles in. And usually you want the lot, you prepare for the last six miles to hurt, but it hurt from six miles in. So it was a, it was a pep talk the entire way. And it just exhausted me. When I got to the stadium, I went out after going through the mixed media zone, I went outside the stadium and there was this little bratch past patch in the shade of a tree and I laid down in my skimpy little uniform and napped for 20 minutes. <laughs> I was that exhausted. So, um, so I consider that very separate from the buildup to Chicago where I was going for the master's record in the marathon and just had a terrible buildup, um, smoke from California fires again, mm, um, mm. impeding workouts. I had terrible allergies in the fall ever since having my daughter for some reason, just mm changed the chemistry of my body. Then, um, then um, Piper came home with the flu one day from school. And so I took a few days off of running so I could take care of her. But then I got the flu, mine lasted for a week. So I was out for another oh, week. Boy. So a total of 10 days. And I was finally getting back into running and you feel a little sluggish after the flu. And I just said to Andrew, I'm not gonna go for it. This is ridiculous. I've had too many things lined up against me in this buildup. And he turned to me and said, man, I'm so surprised to hear you say that you're always so positive because I've seen you put in your longest long runs in a decade, your longest tempo runs of your entire career, and you're still hitting sub five minute miles on repeats. Like I'll say you're ready despite these excuses you're, you're talking mm -hmm. about. And I thought to myself, I'll be darned. Like both of these things are my reality, but, but relying on one of these stories is going to help me break this record. So I completely dismissed the excuses and held on to all these reasons I should succeed. And even in the race, as things went wrong, I missed my first water bottle. A guy stepped on the back of my foot who was drafting off of me, gave me a flat tire. Mm. I don't know if it was the same guy or a different one who later was tucked in behind me and kicked my foot. And it created this phantom hitch in my stride that I had to like, like increase the pace to kind of break that rhythm. And mm. then I felt great at 20 miles, terrible at 21. I tried to get through one mile at a time and it seemed unbearable. And then one light post at a time, it seemed unbearable. And then just one step at a time. And I got to the finish line and ended up breaking the record by almost a minute. And I thought, my gosh, isn't this what my entire career has been about, about being positive and how that's powered every stride. And that in any instance, we have the, the, the great power in this single choice to be able to, um, to step into that story we wanna create for ourselves. So, and at any one of those moments, I could have chosen the defeatist attitude and fallen short of that goal. And it just amazed me that the persistence of keep choosing properly got me to it. So it was a fascinating and probably the run, even though I was sixth or seventh, maybe eighth place in the race, it was probably the run that I'm most proud of because mm. it was really a accumulation of, of everything that I have trained for in my career. Wow. So, you know, I, it's um, so interesting to hear you talk about that, both of those races. Um, and I think a lot of, uh, women and runners in general can relate to that feeling of the suffer fest, right? Where, you know, whether it comes up on the six mile mark or the, or the last 10 K, the first 10 K or the last 10 K and, and dealing with the, you know, sort of the mental struggle and it, and it can be a short run. It doesn't have to be a marathon, but it certainly does come up in the marathon, doesn't it? But the, but the, you know, constantly having to reframe and reframe and saying, okay, you know, that sucked, but it's not going to ruin the whole race. But what's really curious to me is that you're still, you can still admit to talking to those things in your head, even after this career of, of, um, of, uh, thriving on the, of the power of positivity and writing a book about the power of positivity. Yeah. And I think what, what surprises me is that, um, not that, that it works, that like being positive and optimistic works because it gives you a surge of energy. It releases um, different hormones in your body that actually serve you properly as opposed to cortisol that leaves you tense and stressed out. Um, it, that it works, but that it works all the time and that, and that it's really just our job if we're, if we're pursuing something to just try to find the tool that's gonna work and not the same tool works every day. Sometimes it's a mantra, a song lyric, um, restating your purpose and your drive, whether it's for your children or for a cause. 
um, that it's it's always just just rolling through this almost like this this rolodex of tools that you've built up over the years. And I think what I what I've learned so much is that that maybe the race doesn't matter. Like you're in that race, and you can get to a point that you give up on the goal of breaking four hours or or winning your age group because oh really how important is this in the in the scope of the world you could say this race is i mean it's just a race on a given weekend and it's really not that important or you can say you know what i'm defining my character by every choice i make out here and that is really really important and that's what i make it about when um when i start to give up on myself through through a race is that that I'm creating mental habits out here, and this is this is this isn't about the race. It's about it's about it's about defining who I am, and and so I make it I, in that in that moment that I could be giving up. I make it a really serious moment where sometimes I kind of kill the moment with with some um, with some humor to get through it, like an intense moment with some humor. But when I get to that really critical state where I know that. Um, that I'm starting to to get a little weaker mentally. That I make it really important to define my to define myself in that moment, and and then it becomes um, then it becomes uh, more powerful. I guess my choices become more powerful and critical. So, um, and I and I really feel that all of us as runners have the privilege of adding that um, that onus to our running. That we push the limits and challenge ourselves and try to get over. Um, overcome fatigue and hurdles, no matter what they are in our running, whether it's an injury or just um, or just feeling tired and overwhelmed with mileage. That um, that we can add this to our running and find the tools to to overcome it, so that when we find that challenge in our lives, we we have what it takes to get through it. And and there aren't many sports or pastimes that give you that give you that power. Mm, right. And and I'm listening to you say that and about making the choices in the race and really allowing those choices to help define who you are. I mean, how much of that it, it can you can be present in that moment, but then also, um, you know, after the race, how much do you look back and learn and really take sounds like you take knowledge and, and wisdom in the moment. But then how much do you. Uh, spend reflecting back and learning more things and getting a, getting a deeper understanding of yourself and what happened in those moments after the race. Like right. How much, how much right. reflection is there? Yeah, I think reflection is critical, but dwelling is bad. <laughs> so mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to reflect and and learn from maybe the entire buildup and the race itself or the workout itself, um, and and to re- reflect and see what goes wrong, but not in a judgmental way, but in a, in a way to grow from. So use it as a springboard and then pat yourself on the back for the things you did right. And if you are taking these micro decisions that we make throughout, um, throughout time and you're making the best of them, then you have a lot to be proud of, even if you don't reach your goal. And I've, mm-hmm. I've often used this when I'm talking to, to kids, I talk about a, a student striving to be valedictorian of their class and they sit in the front row and they ask questions when they don't understand. As soon as they become smarter than their parents, they get tutors and uh, to help them with their homework and they get their homework done before meeting their friends at the movie theater and they're acing all their tests. And on the final exam, they miss a miss a question and, and get beat to that valedictorian chair. But having that goal made them a far better student and the decisions they made along the way made them a far better student, even if they didn't reach the goal. So I like to encourage people to, to, to put something slightly unobtainable out there to strive for because that's what makes you um, make those little decisions to recover and rest and um, sleep and eat well and, and optimize your training and recovery in a way that you wouldn't if your goal was really um, weak and, and, um, and easily obtainable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here's a different kind of goal, which is writing your memoir, Let Your Mind Run. Um, and, uh, and I know that took um, a few years of work and, and I'm curious about what made you want to approach your memoir from the angle of the power of a positive mind. Yeah, great question, Tish. I, um, writing my memoir was the hardest finish line I've ever gotten to. I had a wonderful co-author in Michelle Hamilton, who you've had the privilege of working with for, 
for many years. Um, and I think it just solidified how important teamwork is and, um, and that nothing is done in a bubble um, by yourself because she pushed me um, to, to a lot of greater self-understanding than I would have gotten to if I was writing by myself. So very grateful for that teamwork. Um, and it was hard on both of us. I remember days where I was having meltdowns and crying into, into Skype and I'm an ugly crier and she had to sit in front of Skype and see me cry. Um, and she would always be there in her strongest day, helping me through that moment, asking the question different ways and finally getting the answer she needed um, for us to write a, a beautiful chapter. And, um, and then there was days where she was like, maybe I'm not the right person for this job. I just can't see this chapter. I, this, this is an important chapter and I just can't see it. And I'm like, no, we're in this together. We're going to get it and, and let's do it. So I feel like we are really good at, um, at working together in, um, in synchronicity and then being there when the other was having a, a harder moment. And, um, and it was a hard three years and the last year in particular, um, logging more than 500 Skype hours with her oh. so that we can get, cause she's on the East coast and I'm on the West coast, but so that we can get some, some critical details, um, fleshed out. And I remember one day, of course I was going through a house remodel at the time also. So I was in a condo, <laughs> an unfurnished condo uh, with two mastiffs, two fish tanks, a six year old and, and my husband <laughs> and, two, and I'm on deadline. So it was a crazy summer last year. But I remember getting to the point where we spent about five or six hours trying to get an opening paragraph right to a chapter. And, and I thought, you know what, we're at a good place. She was, she was getting frustrated and I said, this is amazing. We're no longer trying to like develop a story or create chapters. We're just, we're just, we're just fussing over a paragraph that's opening this up and we're gonna get it. But um, we're just trying to find the, the powerful words, um, you know, when, a, when one single word isn't correct, it throws the tone of the entire paragraph off. And Michelle mm -hmm. was so good at seeing that. And I was like, no, it's fine. And she's like, no, no, something's wrong here. I don't know if, I don't know if this is right. So it was, it was a, it was a struggle to write it. And the reason um, that I wrote it was Michelle came out for the opening of the track that my husband and I put in here in Mammoth. And we were sitting at the dining room table and Andrew and her were discussing, discussing um, the, uh, my career and, and how different my way of thinking is from a lot of people. And, and Andrew said, you know, everybody says Dina should write, should write a book about her career. And I thought, you know, I haven't gone, I haven't, don't come from a war-torn country. I don't have struggle. I've been supported my whole life and have great coaches. And, um, and it just came to the point that, we realized that through this great coaching that I've had, I've learned so many wise, um, some just universal truths that are, are important for sport, but also in life in general. And to be able to, to share that was very important. And I remember Coach V Hill, my first meeting with him, he asked what my philosophy was. And over the years, I ended up creating it if you have it, share it, because he taught me that the, the, that whatever we obtain and possess in our lives, whether it's time or knowledge or money or food, increases in value the moment it's shared. And so I thought, man, I've been given so much great information from the books that I've read and the people that have mentored me that um, if I can share it in a concise way in one book, it would be a very good gift to pass on. And, um, and so Michelle helped me get that point across um, beautifully. So I thank her immensely for, for making, making me sound so eloquent in this book, but also drawing a lot of truths out of me that were kind of underdeveloped and um, some of them misunderstood at times. So Dina, I just have to say your your hard work with Michelle really, really shows through in your book. It's such a good book and, and it does my this old editor's heart it makes it just makes me so grateful. Um, because it's so well written and it hangs together so well and there and she's right. <laughs> and yeah. the word does matter and there's not a single off word um, in the whole thing. So good job to both of you. 
Thank you. And I know I maybe you even saw the difference in both because Tish, you read our first draft, I think, which might have been a little messy. <laughs> it's like embarrassing now that we were proud of that when we passed it off to you. <laughs> but um, but when I was doing the uh, down in Los Angeles, doing the um, the recording of the book, uh, I remember it was the first time that I read the book fully aloud. Michelle and I did it where we back and forth read to each other. Um, in our last reading of it, we would take turns. And um, because when you read it to yourself, you skip over some of the errors that have been there since the very beginning. And I found an error which drove me crazy that I'm talking about Andrea Mead Lawrence, the two-time gold medalist um, in the downhill, downhill skiing. She was the first ever to do it. And I'm talking about her and her book, A Practice of Mountains, and how she's, um, how she's, She's getting rid of perspective in her in her peripheral vision and just narrowing her focus. And she pointed her skies down the slope before she took <laughs> off. I'm like, does this really? I said to the the producer in the studio, does that say skies in your version? And he said, yes, it does. And I'm like, darn it! After how many reads of this book, she's pointing her skies down the road instead of her skis. It kills me. <laughs> it's those things that uh, you know that the spell check it's like of course skies that's spelled properly yes. but you meant skis uh so, oh. Oh, no. <laughs> we kind of talked about this a little bit with um with the earlier marathons but but i'm always curious to hear about how you sustain positivity when things go wrong right sustaining positivity is is a constant challenge and practicing positivity is is a, a lifelong commitment because the world is happening around us. And I think when we pay attention to the good happening around us, that's the power of gratitude. When we're looking at things to be grateful for, that there's there's also some some junk happening in our lives, but that tends to recede into the background when, when our focus is on um, gratitude and the more positive aspects of our lives. But um, things get hard, whether it's in running or in life, which make which make the decisions that we make throughout the day so important because we need to create a habit of positivity. And it doesn't mean that we can't be frustrated or feel defeated or be disappointed. Those are natural emotions, but to honor those emotions and then see how we can either redefine these emotions to help us or to learn from them so we could grow. And so positivity isn't just ignoring um, ignoring some of the the harder emotions we have to encounter or some of the bad days it's about using them to to either uplift us or to learn from to grow from or to redefine i remember um, my very first national championship in um, cross country as a professional um, i went to the line feeling true confidence for the first time the race goes off and i get my doors blown off and I remember thinking at the finish line, how could I go from confident to crushed in such a short amount of time? And I was so disappointed. And my parents were telling me, oh, you shouldn't be disappointed. You did so great. You tried so hard out there. And, and I was trying to not feel disappointed. It just wasn't working. And then Coach Vigil said, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're disappointed. I'd be worried if you didn't care about the outcome of this race. But disappointment means that you, you're invested and you care and you, you want more out of yourself. You expect more out of yourself. So let's get your trainers on on Monday and get back to work. Rome wasn't built in a day. And I thought, man, that's so brilliant that something um, that some negative emotion could actually have a, a positive definition to it. And, I, I, and I, I've used that in so many points in my life, dealing with grief or um, frustration to, um, to not just let it hijack me, but to try to learn from it and redefine it. Well, so then while you're talking, I'm thinking about perhaps your most well-known, what I would assume is a disappointment, your, your broken foot um, in the Beijing Olympic marathon. Could you talk a little bit about how you use, like what were the thoughts going on in your mind and then how you used, you know, how that negative experience how you turned it into a positive, perhaps. Right. Like right when my foot broke here, I, I come from four years after winning a bronze medal. I'm thinking I'm running for gold in Beijing. 
and mm -hmm. feeling really great about my fitness and buildup. And the race went out very slow. And it was at mile three that my foot out of the blue just broke. My third metatarsal mm. just snapped in half. And it sounded like a popsicle stick, like breaking and feathering. Um, mm. It's not, not it, like the sound still nauseates me when I think about it. So thanks for that. Um, <laughs> so we, so I, I'm, I'm crying in pain, but then also in like sharing that, that crying in pain with the shock of just being sideswiped by this and thinking how how on earth did this happen and i'm feeling sorry for myself a lot of self-pity and crying into this towel and the sweet vehicle and and then it dawned on me that okay i'm crying and this is disappointing but that disappointment isn't going to change the outcome of sitting in this bus so let's figure out how this happened and i'm thinking about it like i have no idea but just switching to that that mode of thinking of trying to figure out a reason why um, got me into um, a, a different focus. And as soon as I got off that bus and found out it was broken and talking to my doctor back home, we ended up figuring it out because I was determined. I don't believe that as athletes, we push our limits and we break sometimes. I believe our bodies are capable. If, we, if they're healthy, they're capable of, of um, accomplishing great things. So I, I was really serious about about getting to the bottom of it and figuring it out. And it ended up being a mixture of a vitamin D deficiency, which was very new at the time. Um, now I think it's, it's more well known, um, but a vitamin D deficiency mixed with Giardia um, that I had gotten mm. earlier in the summer and just didn't get the vitamin D to bring the calcium back into my skeletal system. My whole, my entire skeleton was, um, was in the uh, onset of osteoporosis and I was young wow. at the time. So that's not acceptable to me. So just strictly through nutrition was able to get my vitamin D stores up um, with egg yolks um, from farm fresh eggs, which are really rich in vitamin D and have the cholesterol in them that helps your skin convert um, sunshine into vitamin D and, hmm. um, and herring and, um, and sa wild salmon and, leafy green vegetables that have more bioavailability of calcium and vitamin D. So just really making a focus of vitamin D fortified orange juice and milk products. And I was able to get my vitamin D stores up in the next six months to, um, to a very healthy level. So feel proud of, of that focus, but that was the focus it gave me running for so many years with a focus of, of obtaining goals um, allowed me to focus on the goal of building myself healthy again. And so I had that focus, even though I was debilitated and in a cast and crutches, I was able to focus on, on, on building myself stronger. And, and that focus really, really helped me. So running that, um, the, the drive that it takes and the goal setting and the discipline it takes for running and the positivity it takes to get through these harder moments really do transfer over into into life if you're continuing to practice them hmm. Hmm. that's amazing so so you talking about the the food choices i mean it's it's obvious in listening to you talk that you know a lot about food and nutrition and and having um sampled the wonderful cookies that you baked for dimity and me when we got to hang with you <laughs> in mammoth lakes in 2010 Yay. um so i can personally attest to you that you work wonders in the kitchen and um, Aubreen from Chicago, a mother runner in Chicago, uh, asked on Twitter, she uh, wants to know, when are you ever coming out with a cookbook? Oh, my gosh, those famous questions. Um, you know, I have, I started maybe a decade ago um, writing down um, how I was cooking. So I have all of my notes mm. in my computer very well filed. So the makings of a cookbook are there. And I remember Michelle, as we were going through this process, she's like, how come you don't remember your splits of your time, but you remember the meal you had the night before and who you <laughs> ate with and what you had for breakfast the next morning? I'm like, I don't know why my mind works that way. So she actually has a file of a lot of the food stories um, saved for if we if we venture into a cookbook together someday. But you know, I in doing a cookbook, I um, the first question I was asked because I was going into writing a cookbook before my memoir 
um, the first question I was asked is what di what diet does this follow? And I thought, mm. oh, like it doesn't follow a diet. I, I focus on quality and mm. like no nothing in my life is carb free or fat free or salt free or whatever other um, thing is, is going on out there. Um, I just believe in starting with really good quality ingredients and then throwing throwing them together, mixing mixing them together into a delicious meal. Um, even even having a sweet tooth, I I love um, cakes and and um, and pastries and cookies, but I don't necessarily buy um, a package of of uh, store bought cookies. I like to either go to a a nice bakery to get those things or to make them here at the house. So. Um, so I, I love just quality quality foods, and I feel like this year it was a um, more of an emphasis emphasis in my life that everything was going to be quality. I was going to spend quality time with friends and eat quality foods and and um, and do quality runs and spend quality time with the family. And so that's kind of been my uh, my word for 2018. So that hmm. my um, when I look back on an overwhelming schedule, I know it it was quality time spent all day and all night, quality sleep. Mm -hmm. awesome. I I think that's your next book, the quality book. Yeah, <laughs> quality quality kitchen. Can we call quality, it quality kitchen, kitchen? That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, there's your diet. That's you your, all the you heard diet. it. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. That's <laughs> right. my, my magazine editor head. I can't, I can't resist shaping everything. <laughs> so speaking of which, can you give us a few pieces of practical advice for putting positive thinking into action? Yeah, I think, um, I think when we talk about mindfulness and positivity, whether it sounds cliche to someone or it sounds intimidating, it's really the the art of paying attention, and in and I think that's where I started is is paying attention to how a thought made me feel or a decision made me feel, and realizing I could do better for myself. And so it's just paying attention if if something isn't resonating right and making you feel tense and anxious or uneasy or or more defeated um, or slower in a run then just try to, to shape it a little bit better and, and be kind to yourself. I, I remember once I was working on, on my thinking that I was like, oh, wow, you know, that was, that was meant to be encouraging, but my tone was way off and it sounded really condescending. So we got to, <laughs> we got to work on the tone now. Now we're working on tone. So um, I think it's a, it's a never ending process, but it's always worth it because it always, it always brings you into a place where you're, where you either reach your goal or you're closer to your goal or you can give yourself a pat on the back because you knew you were good to yourself and made good choices along the way. So it's really just paying attention to how to how we we think through our day. And I I feel like recently I used it in traffic, sitting in traffic, and I could see my white knuckles on the on the steering wheel. Like, okay, how's that working for you, Dina? How are those white knuckles? <laughs> like, okay, let's put on some. Um, some less intense music. I had some like beats going on and I put on some classical music and I rolled the windows down to get fresher air and then my, my hands relaxed and it was like the intention of doing these things to relax that that allowed me to do so. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this this it's always such a joy to talk with you, Dina. Thank you so much for sharing of yourself and your experiences with us. This is um, important stuff you're talking about and, and writing about in your wonderful book. Thank you, Sarah and Tish. Was it? Did you say it was four years since we last chatted on? It was. On it was. I looked. I looked it up. I I googled, and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was four years ago, oh. November, I think it was. Yeah. Let's not let that much time pass again. I agree. I agree. Well, well, I mean, because we're going to talk about you know the cookbook that you're going to, you know, yeah. <laughs> your qual quality cooking. So. <laughs> I mean, luckily we get to see each other more often than we podcast together. So when we see exactly races, Ex yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much and enjoy these uh, final few days of summer with Piper and Andrew. Thanks, you guys. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Oh, my goodness. Well, kicked both those ladies out, but I, I could have kept that conversation going forever. I just, um, Dina is a small woman, but she has the world's biggest heart. And just, I always admire people who live an examined life. So, um, and somebody who leads a examine life is Dimity. Let's hear what she is up to in the train like a mother club. 
Hey, hey, everybody, it's Dimity here with the Train Like a Mother Club Corner. This week, I am standing on the corner of Simply and Nourished because we have our two nutrition programs opening up for their fall rounds this Monday uh, on August 20th. Um, the first program is Simply Nourished Like a Mother, which is the basic nutrition program that overhauls all the things that you think and you know about nutrition and puts them into very easily digestible tips and tricks and teaches you about the macronutrients and I could go on and on about it um, but it is six weeks long and that's why it's six weeks long as I won't give you all the information now but um, it is a great great program built to um, stabilize your energy improve your mental clarity and of course help your athletic performance so that's simply nourish like a mother six weeks and then we also have the six-week metabolic reset program also with Ellie Kempton um, this is more of a weight loss program geared at people who need to rest and then reignite their metabolism. Um, all the information can be found in trainlikeamother.club. Um, we have 50 spots in Simply Nourish Like a Mother and we have 15. We upped it from 10 to 15 for metabolic reset because the demand was so great. So take a look uh, and get to your keyboard Monday so that you can be all registered and ready to join us on um, September 10th is when the programs actually start. Okay, have a great week. Hey, hey, I have been having a ton of fun these past few weeks working on limited edition merch that we are doing for several fall races that AMR will be attending, including the Twin Cities, Kansas City, and Cape Cod Marathons. We're working on the coolest designs. We have a professional designer. Don't worry, this English major is not doing the graphic work herself. Um, so it's specific for each lo locale, yet there are variations on the same awesome design. And we're doing limited edition merch differently this year. And that's why I'm talking about it right now. We're going to be taking pre-orders in the weeks before the events. So that if you order by the posted deadline, you'll receive the item in time to wear it race weekend. And then at the race expos, we'll be selling the tops in limited quantities. Limited. Emphasize limited. So it's really best to pre-order. Um, so uh, we're in, I should, by the time you're listening to this, um, if all goes according to plan, uh, I will have uh, mock-ups of the Minnesota and the Kansas City tees in our online store. Um, so run, run to the Mother Runner store, motherrunner.com, to place your order. And uh, we also look forward to seeing everybody in the Twin Cities, Kansas City, and Cape Cod. So again, motherrunnerstore.com to to place your pre-order on those amazing designs. Our podcast today was produced in somewhat smoky Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles, many happy positive miles. 